I'm Kenneth, and this is the Unspeakable Vice podcast, where we talk about talking about sex. Sex is a dirty word, a taboo, something that just isn't talked about, and we're about to dig into why. Today was such a beautiful day that I couldn't resist opening the window and letting some uh, some sunshine into my little studio space here. So hopefully that's not too distracting. We'll see how it goes. Uh, today I'd like to talk about the issue of uh, civil commitment for people convicted of sex offenses. And the reason that this came up is there was a recent report released by the Williams Institute at the UCLA School of Law, written by uh, a couple professors and uh, uh, friends of mine that I respect and uh, have been appreciating their contribution to uh, public knowledge for some time now. This uh, report specifically illustrates the way that these uh, sex offender civil commitment laws and uh, programs are applied disproportionately to people by race and by sexual orientation. So let's start by asking, what is civil commitment? So this is not a prison or a jail, although often it looks like it. Uh, nominally, these are mental health treatment facilities. But if you walk inside one and look at it, you'll see the same concrete brick and steel construction of a prison facility. And uh, you've got the same sort of security. You've got, uh, in, off, in many cases, even it's the same uh, administration that's running these facilities also runs the prisons. Um, civil commitment is not directly related to a criminal conviction, although we'll get back to that. Uh, in a moment. Uh, and legally, it's not classified as punishment, right? It's civil, so it's not, uh, uh, it's not something that is considered punishment under the law. It's, it's simply done uh, out of protection. Um, courts claim that this is acceptable uh, for states to confine people against their will without a criminal conviction uh, for public safety concerns. So individuals are confined either for their own safety or for uh, broader public safety. Uh, so this has some logic with mental health disorders where an individual might be diagnosed with uh, an issue that leads them to be violent or suicidal. But uh, in many cases, the so-called sexually violent predators uh, that go into this system, the definitions are very vague. And so this idea of a medical diagnosis is not necessarily based on science. It's not necessarily an official diagnosis. And uh, there may not be a clear assessment of risk to say that this person actually is a threat either to themselves or to somebody else. One court suggested that the constitutional due process right to be free from arbitrary governmental restraint is not an absolute right. Uh, so in other words, even though we do have a constitutional protection that says we need due process before the government takes away any of our liberties, that doesn't necessarily apply to cases uh, with, with sex offender civil commitment. So this kind of detention without a crime is effectively uh, incarcerating someone for crimes they might commit in the future. So that brings up a lot of questions in my mind. To what extent is it acceptable to take away someone's liberty to protect against a theoretical harm? 
Is this actually making anyone safer? Or is it just security theater? And how can we even know if someone might commit a crime in the future? Let's look at who does this affect? Who is in civil commitment? So in the past, a person could be diagnosed as a sexual psychopath uh, without even committing a crime or after committing a crime that was not sexual. Then around the 1960s, psychiatric state hospitals began to go out of style in general. The population of people committed against their will declined. The rules became more strict. However, those seen to have mental health issues related to sex uh, have always been a special case. Now, under current laws, uh, one must be actually convicted of a sex offense before the state can petition for civil commitment after their incarceration. But keep in mind that this is after their incarceration. So after uh, a criminal court has ruled, given them a, a, a sentence, they've served their sentence, they've released, been released, and then at that point, the state can petition to lock them up uh, even longer under this civil law, not because of the crime, because they've already served the time for that, but because of something they might do in the future. The report found that over the past few years, uh, there's been over 6,000 individuals involuntarily detained under these sex offense civil commitment laws nationwide. <clears throat> and to the extent that uh, data are available, um, the report shows that black residents are held at a rate well over twice that of white residents. And in uh, the same way, uh, the report looked at sexual orientation. Now, unfortunately, this one was a little harder because states don't usually keep track of sexual orientation of the people that run through the system. Um, but what the researchers were able to do was to look at um, because these people had a conviction of a sex offense, they looked at men who had a victim who was also male. And they used that as a, a proxy for men who have sex with men. So these, this group of people are anywhere from two and a half to over six times more likely to experience civil commitment after the sex offense conviction compared to men who only had a sex offense with a female victim. So, um, of course, this rate varies from state to state, um, and this is not an exact proxy. Certainly, uh, uh, a victim of a crime is not necessarily indicative of somebody's behavior uh, outside of criminal activity, but it's sort of the best information that the researchers had here, and uh, so at least it's an approximation. But what we see is that uh, men with male victims are automatically presumed to be more dangerous. Uh, this is actually written into some of the um, the psychological instrumentation that's used to uh, determine risk. So like I said, risk assessment is not always used. Sometimes it's just assumed based on the uh, the crime the fact that a crime was committed. But uh, when it is used, one of the instruments that's used is uh, a psychological uh, risk assessment instrument called static 99. And in the static 99 instrument, one of the uh, factors that's considered is whether or not the person had a male victim in a previous crime. And if they did, they're automatically scored with a higher risk. So it's literally written into the psych psychological instrument. Now, this instrument is 
sort of based on evidence, but there's not really any theory to back it up. It's more correlations. So, so uh, the assessment tool tries to determine based on patterns that, are, that we've seen in the past, whether or not this person is similarly matched to somebody who's been more uh, uh, likely to re-offend, to, to commit another offense in the future. <clears throat> so, and, and it's known that it's not particularly accurate either, but it's sort of maybe better than nothing, but even that's arguable. In any case, what we see is the way that this instrument is used and the fact that uh, people with male victims are presumed to be more dangerous, uh, for one, it normalizes violence against women. So by the mere fact that you have a male victim, automatically you're considered more dangerous. That means that uh, those with a female victim uh, are less dangerous, right? So uh, that that is sort of saying that it's more acceptable uh, to assault a woman sexually uh, than otherwise. The second thing that it does is it, is it pathologizes homosexuality. It says that, that being homosexual is sort of inherently more dangerous, more of a risk to society than being heterosexual. And so that's certainly uh, a troubling uh, fact. Now, civil commitment uh, is, is used not only for sex offenses, right? It's also uh, used for other mental health disorders uh, that may result in violence or, or uh, suicide. It's also used sometimes in cases of substance abuse or those found not guilty of a crime by reason of insanity. But in these cases, uh, the rules are, are slightly different. It's worth comparing them still because the validation of one is often used for justification of the other, right? Uh, people who have a mental health diagnosis of uh, um, uh, something that, that clearly shows that they're more violent, those people arguably are a risk to society and need to be uh, either protected from themselves or protect other people protected from them. And so that's why we have uh, this, the civil commitment in those cases. And like I said earlier, with sex offender civil commitment, uh, the justification is, is the same. There's sort of this diagnosis and this understanding of, of a uh, public safety threat. But uh, even though that logic holds, the science doesn't necessarily back it up. So I'm interested specifically in uh, civil commitment of the so-called sexually violent predators because of its bearing on how we think about sex, sexual identity, and difference. So breaking that down, uh, like I said, these, this rule about uh, having a male victim being inherently more dangerous, that certainly says something about uh, how we look at sexual difference in general. If homosexuality is assumed to be more dangerous than heterosexuality, uh, what does that say outside of criminal justice, outside of actual harm or actual offenses? Uh, we've still got this idea that being different is equated with being dangerous. This goes back uh, to the beginning of, of the sort of moral uh, movements against uh, sexual difference. One of the earliest um, uh, scares about homosexuality uh, in, um, in the last century had to do with... Um, this, this myth that 
homosexual men were abducting children and uh, luring them into this deviant lifestyle. And so this was this 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 mythological idea was clearly uh, a public health issue, but it didn't have any basis in reality, um, and it also uh, w went to lead towards more pathologization of uh, sexual difference. So anyway, what uh, states? I said there were twenty states that uh, have these sexual uh, offense civil commitment laws. Um, those 20 states are Arizona, California, Florida, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, North Dakota, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Texas, Virginia, Washington, and Wisconsin. There's also rules in the District of Columbia and in the federal uh, system. In all these cases, under current laws, the state has to show that there was a previous sex offense. And then they also have to prove that an individual has a mental disorder or an abnormality and that they are likely to commit sexually violent acts in the future. Unfortunately, these definitions can be vague, so this idea of a mental disorder or an abnormality uh, could be uh, something, something that is not really based in science, is not a real mental diagnosis, but it's uh, something that the courts just sort of invent to say that this person is uh, uh, potentially an issue. And then in terms of this idea of likely to commit sexually violent acts in the future, well, a lot of times the mere fact of a previous offense is used as evidence of a likelihood of a future offense, even though there's uh, not necessarily any risk assessment done there. Uh, it's actually well known that... Um, Sex offenses in general are one of the least risky categories of crimes in terms of somebody uh, reoffending, somebody committing another crime in the future. Crimes like assault or robbery or uh, anything involving drugs are much more likely to have a repeat offense in the future, um, whereas sex offenses is one of the least likely. Of course, the argument can also be made that sex offenses are more dangerous or more uh, scary than uh, than something like an assault or a robbery. But uh, uh, the fact that it's just less likely to happen is is uh, is clear. So once somebody's put into one of these civil commitment facilities, how do they get out? Well, to my mind, that's possibly uh, the most concerning part of the system, because in many cases, it's almost impossible to get out. While civil commitment facilities are nominally mental health treatment facilities, there's usually no clear path through the treatment to release. And that's not because treatment isn't possible. Uh, it's, 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 it's shown that there is actually... Uh, some science to show that cognitive behavior therapy and other sorts of treatment methods actually work to change people's thoughts, to, to bring them into control of their actions, uh, to minimize the risk of, of future bad behavior or harmful behavior. But the problem is that in these so-called treatment facilities, uh, it just doesn't, it's not provided in that way and there's no path through it. In fact, many of the times the rules are so complicated, uh, people might... Uh, uh, have something that happens out of their control, and then they have to go back and start the whole program all over again, and uh, and 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 so they can never get to the end of it. And in many cases, even if they do get to the end of the uh, 
so-called treatment program, then there's another step of having to prove in a court beyond a reasonable doubt that this person is no longer a risk, and that's a, a very high hurdle as well. Some of the um, uh, some recent court cases have shown have been based on this exact idea that uh, the uh, mental health treatment facilities for sex offenders are actually not that at all that they're actually uh, detaining people unconstitutionally uh, for, for a crime that hasn't been committed yet. And that's based on the fact that nobody actually gets out of the system. People go into the system, uh, but they don't come out unless they die. And uh, so that would seem to be a problem, although uh, unfortunately, uh, for the most part, courts have not ruled to, to uh, do anything about it. Occasionally, they rule that there's a problem that needs to be addressed, but uh, so far that ha that problem has not been addressed. So this is um, an ongoing issue in those terms. So what are the consequences of using civil commitment for people deemed sexually violent? Uh, I've talked about a number of these issues. One, uh, what freedoms are we losing if we are using... Um, the uh, these facilities to lock people up to take away their liberties for crimes that haven't been committed yet but for uh the risk of a future crime what what freedoms are we losing what kind of society are we uh that we take away people's liberty um because of a potential risk that hasn't even been evaluated what is the cost, both in dollars and in terms of uh, uh, the value of humanity that we are doing this? Is this the kind of uh, society that we want to be in, that we, uh, that we preemptively lock people up uh, before they've committed a crime? And are people any safer? Uh, does it actually uh, prevent crime to take away people's rights preemptively like this? Um, it seems like, in my mind, uh, the answer would be uh, that we are not safer, that this is not a, uh, a useful use of government resources. This is not something that uh, actually uh, benefits society as a whole, but uh, it's, in fact, a risk to all of our liberties, um, particularly when you think of how... Um, easy it is uh, to get a conviction for a sex offense. Uh, certainly some sex offenses are violent or are assaultive, but it also can be considered a sex offense uh, to urinate in public. Um, it can be, uh, in, in fact, people have been committed, convicted of a sex offense and even put in a civil commitment afterwards for being a man who was dressed in women's clothing. Um, so if that is considered a sexually violent predator, uh, certainly there's the possibility that a, uh, a government prosecutor or someone could uh, target just about anybody and uh, use these government tools uh, for reasons that have nothing to do with public safety, but rather are served to oppress people of, uh, th that have a different sexuality or people that are somehow considered undesirable. When we equate difference with dangerous, when we um, 
when we preemptively look at somebody as a threat to the public without any sort of risk evaluation or uh, uh, due process that takes away something of the value of our country that's supposed to be founded on liberties and on freedom. Uh, and so this is, this is definitely something that I'd encourage you to think about. What is, what is the appropriate response to these situations and how uh, can we do better than we're doing now? Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.